This week on Three Questions by Corey Kareem. What I've learned to do is say, why not me? Mm. And not necessarily like, not, not just why not me with, with bad things, but also why not me with good things? Welcome back, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Three Questions by Corey Kareem, the podcast where we sit down with some amazing people who are doing some amazing things. And that's right. You guessed it. We asked them three questions, sometimes four, sometimes five. I know, I know, I know. And today is going to be more like six or seven, to be honest with y'all. But we have a really special guest, as all my guests are, really. But today is extra special. So rather than talk about people's wins or successes, we talk about their failures, more specifically the lessons that they learn from those individual experiences. So with that being said, my guest today is a Spotify executive and serves as the head of cultural partnerships at Spotify. He's also the go-to host for internal, external, and virtual Spotify events around the globe. He's interviewed some of the biggest celebrities in the world from Bad Bunny to Brad Pitt to Trevor Noah and J-Lo, to name a few. Shout out to the Bronx. Shout out to the Bronx. Lastly, and perhaps most importantly, he's also the voice behind Spotify's new AI DJ, which, by the way, is the world's first AI DJ. So without further ado, Xavier Jernigan, a.k.a. X. Welcome to the podcast. We're here, baby. We're here. Thank you for having me, Corey, man. Happy to make time. Happy to be here. What up? What up? What up? <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much, sir. For sure. Uh, so, X, uh, yes, sir. for my listeners, for my audience that's mm-hmm. just being introduced to you for yeah. the first time, yeah. I know I just gave you a little bit of a, a lightweight intro, and I, mm-hmm. I was reading through your resume, and I could have read on for like five minutes to so many <laughs> accomplishments and accolades on there. So. <laughs> Uh, Why don't you tell them a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and how you got in this industry, man? Like, where'd that inspo come from? Man, who I am is a black man from Daytona Beach, Florida, born and raised, Mm. Brooklynite for half my life. So I'm Daytona Beach representer, Mm -hmm. Brooklyn, Fort Greene, Clinton Hill, Bed-Stuy, Crown Heights, stand up. So (laughs) that's my home. That's my adopted home. They adopted me. They embraced me. The moment I got here. So I knew I was supposed to come to New York from the time I was three years old, man. I was I was called to be here. I knew it. Mm. It wasn't even just like wanting to go to New York. I was told that I was going to New York and I, and I knew it. I mm. knew what I, I would say it to my mom. I would say it to my brother, my family. That's crazy. And my friends. So I knew I was supposed to be here and everything just came together according to God's plan and according to his will, man. So who I, who I am is... A light, a light mm-hmm. walking in purpose to connect with people, to let people know it's possible, to bring new ideas forth and to bring those to the world, man, and just to bring us all together through that. So a bit about that journey is, as you can see with this mm-hmm. big rattler on my shirt, I am a proud, proud Florida A&M University FAMU graduate. Shout so out to I did FAMU. a five-year shout out to family. Shout out to all my rattlers, HBCU Pride, all the HBCU representative representatives stand up. I'm one of you. 
I grew up around HBCU, man, Bethune-Cookman University. My aunt and uncle worked there. My mom went there. She didn't finish because she had my brother at 18 mm. as a freshman. Wow. And then you know how people would view that student. Of course, especially back then. Especially back then. So imagine if the next year, 13 months later, I pop up. So wow. she had my brother at 18 and me at 19. She kept going as far as she could, but she took motherhood and her duties as a mother seriously. So she stopped going. But she always talked to me and my brother about the importance of school. She kept us around the school. We would go up to the campus to see my aunt and uncle. Rest in peace to my aunt and uncle, my mm. aunt Helen, my uncle James. And two of their kids went to Bethune-Cookman, older than us. I, you know, like two of our really cool cousins, my cousin Terry and my cousin Zach. My cousin Zach was section leader of the drum line. Wow. And whenever we would be at the parades, whenever we like the homecoming parades. Yeah. Coming through and me and my brother standing there in awe, just thinking my cousin Zach was the coolest. He would make sure the drum line stopped right in front of us and just showed out. He mm. showed us like how it goes down. So our, yeah. our love for music and culture and black culture and hip hop runs deep in my veins. And we always knew we were going to college, but we also always knew that what college looked like for me and my brother was the black college experience. Wow. So my brother went to Howard mm. and ended up being what? Section leader of the drum line. Me and my brother mm. are drummers. I went on to FAMU. I got up there. I was a drummer too. And I said, it's too oh, hot. Up. It's too hot out here for all that. So I <laughs> retired from band. <laughs> March of 100, I just watched them from the stands. But I retired from band and then I went. But I always knew I was going to work in music and yeah. entertainment. I always had a passion for it. So my whole strategy mm -hmm. was to get rooted in business. And I can take that business knowledge and then apply that after I work my way into the industry. So right. went to five, went to FAM, chose a five-year MBA program. That's why I chose FAM over Howard. I only applied to two schools, mm. FAMU, Howard, and I had letters from everywhere, Corey. I'm talking mm. about all, all Ivy League. I literally had this drawer in my bedroom. And every college letter I got, I'm talking about Princeton, Harvard, all wow. of them, all of them, full of this drawer, but I only applied to two schools, two HBCUs, Howard and FAM. And I chose FAM over Howard because of the five-year MBA program, School of Business and Industry. Shout out SBI. And wow. then I just knew, I would say it then. I'm, I'm big in manifesting things. And right. if, if a purpose is placed in you and placed on your heart, you need to manifest that thing. And also people will help you. People mm -hmm. will help you along the way. They will say your name in rooms that you are not even occupying. And they're like, mm -hmm. nah, X. Zay, Xavier needs to be in this room. So that's that's my story, man. So I really went there to learn business mm -hmm. from the best and do all these internships. There's three required internships when you do the uh, five-year MBA program, at least when I did the program. Right. And I ended up going to work for Procter & Gamble right out of FAM. And I did that. I chose Procter & Gamble because they're credited with inventing brand management right. and you know experts on marketing research. So I went into marketing research at Procter & Gamble. Mm -hmm. Moved to Cincinnati. My mom always said, take it wherever it takes wherever you. Goes. Yeah. Wherever it goes, follow it. So I went to Cincinnati. I moved to downtown Cincinnati. I used to walk to work. Mm. And shout I out just, to the Natty. Shout out to the Natty, man. <laughs> 518, right? That's the 518? Yeah. I think so. Push, 
Shout out to I, I used to I used to live in uh Dayton, which is about 45 Dude, minutes. I know Dayton because yeah. I did an internship in Dayton as well at NCR yeah. Corporation. Mm-hmm. So I was right up the street. So I've spent some time in Dayton as well, man. Yeah. So that's around the, you know, those Dave Chappelle parts. That's not far <laughs> from where he is, if anybody knows about that. So I did that, man, to get rooted in business from the best. I always want the best. So I did that. And then God gave me a new plan, man. I mean, it was a new chapter of the plan he had already given me already back to three years old. And he said, it's time to get to New York. Mm -hmm. And he said, you're going to go back to school. That's how you're going to transition into the music industry. Mm -hmm. I promise you, bro, this is all I'm telling you how it came to me. Mm -hmm. God literally said, and it's the way it wasn't, it wasn't an audible voice. It wasn't this booming voice (laughs) from on high. And maybe God talks to some people that way. I'm just saying for me, it wasn't that for me, I get these clear, thoughts planted into my mind that I know didn't come from me. And I just had a clear thought. I was sitting on the side of my bed in Cincinnati and God said, NYU is going to have a program you're interested in. Now, mind you, remember, I already got an MBA, Mm -hmm. got an MBA, did it in five years. I'm thinking like, you know, I'm a year and some change out of school. Well, I'm going to go back and get another master's. I just got one Mm -hmm. in business. And God said, Go online, check NYU out. They're going to have a program that you're going to be interested in. And that's how you're going to move into the music industry. That's how you're going to get to New York. Right. And I and I immediately go online and I Google NYU music business. Mm-hmm. And then I see NYU has this music business program, undergraduate and a graduate one. And I read the description. And I remember when I read it, I said to myself, if I were to go back to school, this is exactly what I would go back to school for. This sounds great. Mm. And then that's what I did. So I took a job. I left Procter & Gamble. I took a job at Church and Wild Incorporated. They're Arm & Hammer. That's their right, parent yeah, company yeah. name. Mm-hmm. So I went to Arm & Hammer. They're based in Princeton, New Jersey. I had them move me to Jersey City so I could be super close to the city. Worked there for a year. Applied to NYU. They only accept about 26 or so people into this program, the graduate program every year. I was one of the 26. And then I started full-time in the music industry in terms of as a full-time student. And then wow. interned my way through, got to record labels, and I can go into detail about that. Yeah. But, you know, the longer you work, man, the longer these stories get. <laughs> yeah. But I got in. I was Diddy's personal assistant. That was my first paid job in the business. Parlayed that into digital marketing. This is where the marketing comes back together. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Motown and Republic and worked on Amy Winehouse and Erica Badu, New America, Part Two, Return of the Onk, and Ryan Leslie and Buster Rhymes and wow. Wu Tang's Eight Diagrams and Q Tip, one of my musical heroes, Erica Badu is as well. Mm-hmm. Worked there for four and a half years. Worked my way up pretty quickly. I went from digital marketing manager to director in about six months. Another year, I was promoted to senior director. And then after four and a half years there, I went to Epic, where I was mm. Future's first product manager. So I wow. helped to introduce Future to the world from a major label standpoint with the Pluto album. And then somewhere mm. in there, I started getting asked to host things or to pop up and make appearances. Right. And I started popping up for VH1 and talking on these countdown shows they used to have back in the day with these different <laughs> used to pop up. So I was one of those people. That was something I always wanted to do. And right. shout out to Ayana Roberts, who fellow fam Ewan who who said, hey, mm. you're looking for somebody like you. She lived around the corner from me. And then that's how Rattler Nation does, man. And she 
she plugged me into that and then they liked me and then you know i had to show up and be excellent now mm-hmm. i had to show mm-hmm. up and, and and do what i was there to do but i was able to do that and then this parallel path started happening at the same time with executive but also talent and then that path just kind of went right. forth and then that was going and then ended up at def jam and at def jam this is when the marketing and the digital all came together they i got a phone call and they asked me to come. They said, you don't have to interview. I want you to do it. But we mm-hmm. want to bring your marketing mind into what's formerly known as the sales space that became known as the commerce space. Right. And we want you to head up digital commerce for Def Jam and um, own all the relationships that we have between the digital service providers of the DSPs, the Spotify's, the Apple's, mm-hmm. the Google's of the world. And we want you to do it. And then I said yes and i went into def jam doing that so we had a great run a lot of its timing right as divine timing so we had you know bieber's purpose album and we had big sean dark sky paradise and we had yay life of pablo and then we had rihanna's anti and two chains and so the run was pretty crazy yg vince staples we introduced logic we introduced to the world so it's a great run and that led me into coming into spotify about six and a half years ago and i came into spotify as i don't know if you even know this score i came into spotify as a head of north america for the music editorial team so i led the playlisting team for us and canada and then i created this other team called cultural partnerships and wrote my own job description and became the head of cultural partnerships and then the hosting thing all came together right and here we are Man, crazy! What what a story! There's so many. I noticed a few different um, parallels between you and I. So the first one I'll go back to when Please. you first started was um, when you were a kid. You always told your mom you're going to end up in New York. Mm-hmm. So for me, I grew up in Toronto. Um, I'm mm. Jamaican. I'm Jamaican born, but I came here Come as, on. A, as a little kid, and I always used to tell my friends when I was in like, junior high school, high school. Mm-hmm. I'm going to end up in New York. Majority of my family's in the States and the rest of my family's in, in Jamaica. And then Pick dad, up yourself. <laughs> my dad lives in the UK. <laughs> yeah. And so I always used to tell my, my friends like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to end up in New York. And people are like, uh-huh. how do you know that? You don't know that. Like, what mm. if this happens? What if this happens? And sure enough, by the time I was 19, I started college. Um, and I remember this. I remember I had this surreal moment. Huh. I'm on the two train because I was living yeah. with my aunt in Flatbush, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Shout out Flatbush. <laughs> Shout out Flatbush. I'm on the two train. I was like, holy snap. It actually I'm here. came. To, I'm, I'm actually here. Yes. It was like this surreal yes. moment. You know when like guests get on to like they're, they're being interviewed like by like Jimmy Kimmel or mm-hmm. whoever. Yeah. Like, oh, I can't believe. I'm, I'm here. here. And then to me, sometimes as an outsider, I'm like, well, you've worked your whole life for it. How can you not think you're here? But I get what they meant because now yeah. it's actually happening. That's right. It seems so surreal. So I had a I, recent moment like that. Yeah. I had a recent moment where Gail King mm. a- asked, for me, asked for me. She wanted to meet me. Mm. And she was interviewing Spotify's co-founder and CEO, Daniel Eck. And this was that week of stream on. Right. And she specifically and her staff specifically said, hey, we would like to interview X too. Gail mm. really wants to meet him. We want to meet him. We're right. fans and we think he's cool. Like DJ was only out two, a week and a half. I don't even think it was two full weeks yet. Right. And 
it was like a big, it was a really big deal to her to meet me, man. She kept asking all day, like we planned on for it to happen on camera. Mm-hmm. But the whole day, she kept asking Daniel, like, when am I going to meet X? Oh, wow. Is he here yet? Is he here? And yeah. then the, and it was the same thing with the staff, man. So when it was happening, I had this kind of out of body experience, like, right. wow, I'm here. And she was super excited to meet me, me. to yeah. talk about what I'm doing and that she connects with me and my personality. And it's my name that's set on this thing. And yeah, that, that was one of those moments for me. I had a New York one too, where actually, um, I remember. So I'm looking at the picture in your background. You're listening. <laughs> well, so and you're not fun, it. fun fact: yeah. the reason why I have this because right now I'm in, I'm in Toronto. Yeah, but I had my formative years. I'd like to say like I. So when people ask me like you know tell me a little bit about your background, I say I'm Jamaican born, Toronto raised, but New York grew because I left I like New that. York at like, like 26, 27. So I was there from 19 to 26, 27. So I became a man in New York City. Yeah. And so in, in my living room where I'm at right now, I have another one where it's the skyline, the famous New York City skyline. Mm-hmm. This is the Brooklyn Bridge behind yep. me. Yep. This is my New York state of mind room. See, my, my Nas yeah. gets me in that mindset. So that's I a little like context that. about that. Well, yeah, I like well, that. And that's right there at the waterfront in Dumbo. So I know yeah. the exact spot where they took that picture. One of my favorite restaurants is right there, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. So I was crossing the Brooklyn Bridge. I had only been there a couple months. Mm-hmm. Crossing the Brooklyn Bridge, one of my best friends from fam, mm-hmm. we had a celebration for her birthday, right. her apartment, which is just a few blocks from where I now live. Mm-hmm. That's how I got hip to this neighborhood is because she lived in this neighborhood. Shout out to Erica Smith. She lived in this neighborhood. I would come here for work when I worked at Procter and Gamble. We would hang out, mm-hmm. of course. And then when we were going around the neighborhood, I was like, oh, this is my vibe. Like, right. this is where I'm going to live. And that's where I ended up living on purpose once I started at NYU and left, mm. you know, left Church and Dwight, Arm and Hammer to come in and be a full-time student. But anyway, right. riding over the Brooklyn Bridge, I'm going back to my place in Jersey City at the time. So I was only here a couple months. Right. Going over the bridge, and I'm looking at the Twin Towers. Mm. And I'm like, man, I'm here now. I'm mm. looking at the Twin Towers. This is late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. Corey, that was the Saturday night, Sunday morning before 9-11. I knew you was going to go there. Wow. Crazy. That's the last yeah. time I saw the Twin Towers standing. Wow. Wow. That's, that's crazy. That was a New um, York moment for me. No, I can I can see that. You know? And so many, so many moments happen in, in New York too. And there's something else in your story that also stood out to me was your journey mm. within the music business. So mm. I went to school for television and radio. Right. Did like half my internships at like MTV, NBC mm-hmm. on the television side, mm-hmm. and the other half on the music side. So like uh, I did uh Atlantic Records was one of them as well. Yeah, and and so that's where I could see the the connection between you and I because I, I I had my what I call my cheesecake run. If you remember, uh, yeah, oh, that, of that, course, <laughs> the bad boys. I was uh, yeah. that was that was around the era I was there. I used to have to drive the band around. That was <laughs> wow. that was one of the things I had to do. Matter of fact, little fun fact: don't lose your yeah. place in your story. Yeah, little fun fact for you. Mm-hmm. I was driving the band around that summer. That was right. my job as an intern, like literally mm. to pick them up and take them where they had to go and make sure they got to photo shoots on time, all, all of that right. stuff. Right. 
they asked me to be in the show. Oh, wow. But to be in the show, the filming was going to resume back in the fall. So that would have required me to, mm, to um, not be able to miss school and not be in school for a semester. And right. I said, nope. And not only that, I wasn't going to look like no damn fool on TV running around <laughs> after these fools. So my boy Jason Wiley, who yeah. was in, he came on as an intern after me. He ended up being in the show. But that's so, yes, I know that era very well because <laughs> I was there, sir. Yeah. <laughs> but please, please continue. My, my cheesecake moment, I remember I was an intern with this guy. I think his name was Vishal from Michigan State. Uh-huh. We're, we're an in, intern in the urban promotions department at Atlantic mm. Records. And they're like, you were working on Diddy's album. Uh, I think it was Press Play or something like that. Ah, uh, yeah. That was right when I, that was right around the time I was leaving. And so they're like, hey, we need you guys to go pick up all this like bad boys paraphernalia. Yeah. And then so we walk over to the office because I think it was only like six blocks. Uh, oh, yeah. Because y'all were off of um, Avenue y'all at Rockefeller. Yeah. So we walk over there and we're thinking it's like, you know, maybe a box or two. Dude, it's like eight or 10 boxes. So we're like, there's no way we can walk back with this. They didn't even let y'all get a cab, did they? No. So me and him just had (laughs) to think light on our feet. And there just so happens to be a truck leaving the bad boy office. Like, you know, one of those like U-Haul style trucks. Uh And we said, we said, dude, we're literally just going down the block. Can we just hop in the back of your truck with these boxes here? And he's like, yeah, no problem. So we literally got in the yeah, back of this like, U-Haul style truck, got a little ride down to back to the office. And that was my like New York cheesecake run. I'll never Yo, forget that moment, man. Man. So I was at Bad Boy when we started getting distributed by Atlantic. Yeah. So we would go to Atlantic once a week and we would have this big Bad Boy mm-hmm. Atlantic meeting. So Kevin Lyles and Julie Greenwald. Yeah, they're all in the meeting. Kaiser, all of those folks that are mm. actually still yeah. around, with the exception of Kevin Lyles, in, in a different capacity. But yeah, I was I was around around for that, man. It's crazy. Yeah. I did crazy. I did way crazier runs than you had to do. <laughs> Trust I, me, bro. I, I, I got some of other interesting stuff, but oh man, but X Men. Um, so one of the things I, I love to kind of get into on my podcast is mm-hmm. I, I, I have a lot of people that have accomplished great things in their life, but rather than talk about like their kind of wins or successes, yeah, I like to talk about those difficult periods in their life, those kind of struggle moments mm-hmm. and understand how they were able to overcome those challenges and, you know, what they ultimately learned from that particular experience. So with yeah. that being said, X, my question for you is what's the most challenging moment or one of the most challenging moments you've ever had in your life what happened how'd you overcome it and mm. ultimately what did you what did you learn from it i'll have to pick one out of many because if, if you live long enough if you have enough life right. in you you're gonna have several <laughs> of challenges course. and i'm trying to think where where can i pull like where what file mm. do i pull from that's what mm. i'm thinking about right now I pull from a work file because people always like to focus so much on work. Or do I, or do I pull from a personal life file? It's, it's so many. I'm going to just randomly see where my mind goes first. Mm-hmm. I got laid off once. Mm. I got laid That's off. very relevant right now, too, especially what's happening in within tech. Yeah, absolutely. And I got I got laid off once. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a shady situation, not some shady mm-hmm. I did. The whole situation was shady. I'm right. saving that for book one day. 
but that was it was a shady situation. I got laid off, like one person laid off, not fired. I was oh, just wow. randomly called into an office. Yeah, they had layoffs that had already happened. They were right. supposed to be done. Right. But then they used that as a way to this person used that as a way to to get rid of me, essentially. Mm-hmm. And you know, I wasn't devastated about the layoff to keep it a buck with you. Like right. it wasn't that, but it was the time in between not knowing how long it would be. Mm-hmm. And people look at my career and my journey and they're impressed by it and they're excited about it. But man, it was it was quiet for two and a half, three years. I was like unemployed in terms of like a stable situation right. for nearly three years. Oh, wow. And I wasn't 10, you know what I mean? Like that period didn't end 10 years ago. Wow. So what I did is I focused on each day. What it taught me is really, truly the value and blessings that you have each and every day. I right. really, truly understood what the Lord's prayer meant. And I'm talking about the beginning of the yeah. Lord's prayer when it says, give us this day, our daily, daily bread. bread. I didn't fully understand yeah. what that meant until I didn't know how I was going to eat every day. Mm. So it means God, I need you to feed me today. I can't right. worry about tomorrow. I need to eat today. Right. And, and I prayed different and I, and I blessed my food differently. And Corey, I didn't miss one meal. I'm telling you when, when the money was low, cause I had other mm-hmm. projects and stuff that I did that brought me some money in right. between, but I'm talking about steady employment with benefits Right. And a check that you know is coming every two weeks. That's what I'm talking about. And man, there were some days where I legit did not know how I was going to eat that day. And that's the day I get a call. Yo, come by for dinner. Y'all just meet up for lunch. I got you. And I can't tell you how many times that happened for me. And I just had to learn to trust in a different way like really like trust when you really don't know it's right. one thing to to say you trust mm-hmm. you got a little money in your pocket mm-hmm. you got a safety net see I'm, I'm one of these people that's out here without a safety net you know i told y'all my story so i don't have i don't i haven't grown up in a traditional sense of some people having safety nets and you can right. call pops you got money like mm-hmm. i didn't know my biological father i didn't i met him twice and then he died when I was in 10th grade. And then mm-hmm. I could do about that. I ain't got a safety, I ain't got a safety net like that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's friends that God raised for me as family, mm-hmm. you know, that literally fed me. I literally slept on couches to be here, Corey. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was a period of time where I couch surfed between mm-hmm. Angie and Melissa, and they held me down. Like they fed me, man. I, I you know, I pulled my weight, I had mm-hmm. a car. So I gave him the keys, y'all. You, this is your car too. So mm-hmm. my car was their car. So that's the mm-hmm. that's what I contributed. I, I washed dishes. If I if they had laundry to do, I did their laundry when I did my laundry. So I pulled my right. weight. But I'm telling you, man, that in between, it's not for the faint at heart, man. And you got to ask yourself, like, am I really supposed to be doing this? Is this a pipe dream? Is it over with? Because you know, think about it. I had two mm-hmm. master's degrees. Should I just go get a quote unquote right. regular job? Like, was that a sign? Am I tripping? So I had to think about all those things. So a second guessing in there that you wrestle with on a daily basis, not every day, but, mm-hmm. but sometimes I would wonder about the path. And I'm like, God, was, was I supposed to be here just for a short time? And am I supposed to go back to Florida? Like, 
Right. What's up? You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know it was going to take this long. I wasn't worried when I got laid off. But now all of my money is gone. All of my 401k is gone. Mm. I owe back rent. What's going on? These people about to, we talked about the landlord earlier. You got to mm. move like the landlord, like, like yeah. about to get evicted. Yo, that yeah. was for real. I've that. lived that. I've had an eviction notice on my door. So right. that was one of the most challenging times of my life of many challenging times. But yeah. I'm thankful. I'm right. thankful. It just helps me to be hungry. It helps me to be thankful. And it helps me to know that God is real and wow. that God really means it when he says he's your provider and wow. he's your comforter. I'm I'm living, breathing proof. So all, all the stuff that's happening, man, all the stuff that's happened, it's because I'm no better than anybody else, but I stayed the path. Right. And that's the one thing I'm proud of that I've done. So right. that's that that was one of the most challenging moments. That's relevant to right now with so many people being laid off. You no, know, I Warner, love that. Warner just announced layoffs and I and I know some names yeah. of folks that got laid off as we speak. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I love that. And thank you for for sharing that story, boys. Um again, I had a moment very similar to that. Tell me about and it. So I so I told you earlier, all you guys, that you know, I had a vision as a kid to go to New York, live in New York. And I was doing that by 24. I was working at an ad sales firm on Wall Street, a British ad sales firm on Wall Street, 24, 25 years old. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, I, got, I had another aha moment. I was like, man, whoever thought this, this black kid from Toronto would be working in the Trump building on Wall Come Street on. right now. Right. So Come I had on. this surreal moment. And then I had an issue with my visa. Mm. which kind of forced me to come back home, long story short. Yeah. And then I went from, I remember this, <laughs> I'll, I'll paint this picture for everyone. Mm -hmm. I remember having a small view of the Empire State Building from who I call my sister's apartment. Mm -hmm. It was a very small one. Mm -hmm. I went from having a small view of the Empire State Building to ending up in the basement in my mom's home mm. back here. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, I remember feeling like such a loser. And yeah. I, I, and I, and I struggled with my faith at that moment, but I knew mm -hmm. that, I knew that things like this happened. So I knew it wasn't a why me situation. Right. And you, but I just knew you. that. Yes, exactly. And I just kept forcing myself to ask, what am I supposed to learn from this? Right. I ended up reading more than I ever did mm -hmm. at that po a point mm -hmm. in time. I got a tattoo on my, my left arm that says the key to success is massive failure because at mm. that time I felt like such a massive failure that I was like, man, if I'm at, if I'm at rock bottom, yeah, there's no way, there's nowhere else but up. So right. everything from this point has right. got to be up because now I'm 27 on my mom's couch and talking about having little resources. I had about like maybe four months, five months. Mm -hmm. worth of savings oh man I know and, that. And, one, I know that. and once that ran up i remember i think i took this picture with an old iphone i wish i still had it mm -hmm. i took a picture i had like five dollars left to my name and half of it was like in nickels and dimes Ooh. x and I, and I wanted i wish i still had that picture because i was like man one day i'm going to use this for a story at some point in time mm. and it was just such a moment for me man because i was like man i was on the path i was i was doing well 
at my job. Mm-hmm. There was opportunities coming up. I was actually supposed to go mm-hmm. on a business trip to, I think it was Argentina or Brazil. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man. And then just like that, my life flipped right over. Right. I had to start all over again. Right. And man, it took me, I'm not even going to lie. It took me a long time to get back up to where I feel I was supposed to. Like, it was a good mm-hmm. seven year build up I know from, what you that, mean. from that fall. So I can I know really- what you mean. And and something you said that is important for people to to check out, like in terms of the delve into is you said you didn't focus on why me because you know this thing happens, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not knocking anybody who says why me. That's it's human nature. Right. What I've learned to do is say why not me? Mm-hmm. And not necessarily like not not just why not me with with bad things, but also why not me with good things. You know, a lot of people mm. suffer with imposter syndrome. Oof. What I say is, Talk about why, why not me? Like, mm-hmm. why why can't it be me? So I right. just learned to do that in in the good and the bad. And for me, what I what I'm thankful for about the challenges that I've gone through and the ones that are to come, not necessarily looking for you know looking forward to them, but the ones that are to come, Corey, I really believe that God allowed me to go through those things and carries me through those things and provides for me to get through those things. And so I can turn to somebody and said, I've been there. Mm. I've literally experienced that. You're listening to somebody right now. Who's who was without a job for nearly three years with two master's degrees and student loan payments and my phone being blown up (laughs) and make these payments. You know what I mean? Like, right. I've been there. So the challenges just show me, you know, that I'm just like everybody else mm-hmm. and that I require God's love, grace, mercy, provision, just like everybody else. Right. Right. And it, one of the things it, it does as well is it makes you super relatable. I was listening to a, a podcast mm-hmm. with the author Mel Robbins mm-hmm. the other day, and she was talking about why people have such an affinity for her books and herself. Mm-hmm. And that's because in conversation with her, she doesn't really just do the fluff talk. She'll she'll like tell you like, hey, I'm even though I've sold a New York Times bestseller, I still deal with anxiety. I still deal with mm-hmm. this. I felt slighted when they left me off the New York Times bestseller list and I bitched yeah. about it to all my friends. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And people are like, oh, wow, even though you've reached this height of success, you still go through it. And it that's just right. reminds me of this quote. I I read or came across not too long ago, and it said, sometimes people don't need to hear or learn anything new. They just need to hear or see that someone else is also going through it as Mm. well. That Mm. relatability, right? Yeah, man. It goes back to that connection and the the purpose in that. Mm -hmm. You know, like, there's times, you know, I feel slighted sometimes. I Mm. feel like, yo, are they trying to play me? Like, yo, what? You trying to put this person's name up next to mine or above mine, and they ain't done what I done, and you know, right. I, you know, it's I, what I tell what I tell my people, Corey, like my, my close close friends. I'm like, nah, I peep game, like mm-hmm. I peep. I mean, I'd always say something in a certain moment, but right. it, it doesn't mean I didn't peep game, right? You know what I mean? So it's you know, it's it's things I see when it's mm-hmm. like, oh, when they look a certain way, they get this right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Me, I got to be superhuman, mm-hmm. damn near, to finally get my due. Like, I got to do something that's never been done in the history of the world. Literally. Right. I'm the world's first AI DJ. It doesn't exist. 
I have to right. be the first black voice of tech mm-hmm. for a major tech company. Then it's like, oh, now we want to really give this guy his due now. Damn. Right. What about all? So I think about all the other people who right. aren't necessarily going to have the opportunity to be the first and do this like thing that's like the first to the world. Right. So, you know, so I, I think about all of that stuff. I, f- I think about all of it, man. Man. And I'm, I'm so glad you go. You you just went there. Yeah. So let's switch gears here for a second mm-hmm. here. X black and corporate. Yeah. Is there a manual? Do folks who look like us have to operate differently to make it to the top, like someone like yourself, or is it a matter of it's all in our own mind or our own thoughts? In other words, X. Yeah. Is there a cheat code or not? For me, there is a cheat code. Yeah. And it's going to sound and like it's going to be antithetical to what everybody says. Mm. The cheat code is be unapologetically you. Ooh, I'm so glad you went there. Because listen, listen, yeah. black, yeah. any black or brown people listening, they already know you black. They already <laughs> know you brown. So I know you, you got to do what's appropriate for your environment. Of course. But they already know the jig is up. Surprise, you're black. They yeah. already know. So you yeah. might as well just be yourself. Mm. And, and I find, and, and, I know, and I know how it happens. It, it comes from a lot of different angles from the times we're kids. You know, people, you know, cold switching on the phone. Like, mm. I get it. We did those things for survival. We're still doing a lot of those things for survival. So I get it. I am not knocking you if you're somebody that does it. But I'm right. telling you, the thing that has gotten me ahead in a sense is working hard, right. always being excellent, but you have to be yourself unapologetically. And I'm going to tell you why. They, they, they already know. <laughs> they already know. So we're trying to hide parts of ourselves. I get why we do that. I get where that came from. But this is what I operate under, Corey, when mm. I'm at anything. But I apply it to work. My whole thing is, it's a couple of things here. One thing is I don't want any separation from who I am at work and who I am and all other aspects of my lives. I get mm-hmm. it. Some people doing some stuff outside of, outside of work that they never want people to see at work. I right. get that. Right. I'm talking about the essence of who you are, not necessarily mm-hmm. every single thing you do right. in life. You have to do that in the workplace. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the essence of who you are as a human being, who God made you to be. The way you talk is the way you talk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Of course, focus on your grammar. Get your grammar corrected. Right, right, you know, right, when you, right, you know right. what I mean? In certain environments, <laughs> like, like master that, please. But be yourself, man. This is what I operate right. under. This is the second piece. What I operate under is they ask for me, I'm going to give them me. You want Xavier to do something, you ask for X, I'm going to give you X. Right. Whether that's, and it started with, oh, hey, X, could you host this all hands? All hands ain't done the way that I do them. Mm. When I do them, it's going to be a different vibe. Right. But I didn't ask for permission. You asked me to do it. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do that. And I'm going to say, I need this, I need this, and I need that. And I'm going to do it. And then whenever I've done that, which is every time, at least at this point in my career, it, it stands out even more because there's only one you. Mm. You're one of one. You're an original. So if you just bring all of you to whatever you're a part of, you're automatically going to stand out. 
And then if you're consistent, if you're excellent, if you treat people kind, if you focus on the craft and always strive to get better and you're honest with yourself about what areas you need to work on, you show up for people, they'll show up for you. Then your name starts getting said in rooms that you're not in. Mm. Then it all, it all just like, it's the snowball effect. So right. that's how I try to move. No, and I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Let me, add, let me add this quick. Please don't lose yeah. your thought though. Let me add this quick. I'm already black. Mm. I'm proud to be a black man. So I don't focus on being black. I never go in a room and be like, I'm the only black person in it. I literally don't even say that. I'm me. I'm the only me in this room. And I'm only ever going to be the only me in this room. So if it's all black people in this room, I'm still the only me in this room. So I, I don't focus on that. Like, I'm acutely aware of the fact that I'm a black man. You know what I mean? But I don't, I don't focus on that every day. I know it's hard not to. So I'm not, again, I'm not knocking anybody that's just in their head about that. Right. But Try your best to get out of your head about it. They already know you're already here. So you so you better you better do your thing. Cause I'm I'm always gonna go out. No matter how it turns out. I got laid off before. I told you that. And I've left other jobs before on good terms. I'm always going to go out. I don't even want to use a, a, a gun reference. I was gonna say guns blazing. I, I'm just being transparent, y'all. Right, right, right. I don't want to use that phrase because we have a serious gun issue. In right. this country and in this world right now. But I'm going to go down in flames. I'm going to mm-hmm. go down with all my best out there. So at least when I look back, I'm like, damn, I wish I would have done that differently. When I got laid off, I tell you, I didn't, I wasn't saying like, oh, I wish I would have done this different and made that move differently. Da, da, da. I didn't feel like that at all. It was just about, I just want to make sure I can eat in a year. Wow. You know what I mean? So that's how I try to approach, you know, going about my work. Yeah. So there, <laughs> I, I I'm so happy that you brought up the whole imposter syndrome thing mm-hmm. earlier on and mm-hmm. being the only one in the room and stuff like that, because it's a question I ask a lot of my guests because about 70% of the time I'm sitting down with people that look like you and I, and I'm always curious to know how different folks deal with, you know, being in their own head. And granted, yeah. that happens to people irrespective of you know, what race they belong to, creed, religion, ethnicity, yeah. so on and so forth. All of it. Um, but the unapologetically black, I'll be honest, I've always struggled in reaching what you've reached in terms of doing that, right? Because yeah. you just named some things that were always, there's a little bit of conditioning there, right? If That's I do right. this too much, is it looked upon exactly. a certain way? Also exactly. in the past, in other organizations, I've gotten the proverbial hand slap on the wrist, you know, you came off too aggressive, you know, you know, those kind of undertones, you know what I mean? And that, and those little things, although subtle and nuanced, Mm -hmm. if they happen enough times, there is some conditioning that starts to happen. So I can admit and be vulnerable here that I'm very conscious of that. Right. And I'd love to get to a level where I think I'm getting close, where I'm completely authentic. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yourself. Within reason, of course. But um, I'm glad that you were able to define because I also know that being unapologetically black can also mean a lot of different things to different yeah. folks, right? It's That's like right. a it's like a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the way one of the things I, I one of the things I definitely appreciate about you is when I see you interview some of the senior execs mm-hmm. or a celebrity, whether they mm-hmm. be from the culture, outside the culture. Mm-hmm. 
you never shy away from the core of who you are. It's it's I'm all trying it's, not to thank you. And 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 it almost seems deliberate, but I'm like, man, I I, I just love the way that you do it because it doesn't sound forced. Yeah, and it's just it's consistent, right? And I'm just like, man, that's that's it right there because so many times, X, I've seen in my career, in my life, my mm-hmm. 38 years on this planet, mm-hmm. I've seen times where. People that look like you and I who make it yeah. to high levels. And it's like, for lack of better words or expression, mm-hmm. it's like they lost their soul. It's like, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if that re- if, if that's relatable to you, but it's just like I, I see it all the time. I see it all the time. And I, I never wanted to be like that. And I feel like the consistency for me mm-hmm. comes through bringing just bringing me to all these rooms right because I, I am who i am mm-hmm. a spirit that the that, that god birthed in me that's who i am mm. so if i if i don't spend all this energy and time tamping that down mm-hmm. don't do this don't maybe it's too much that maybe then when you when you start doing all of that then you're actually not being yourself right you're actually not being honest mm. to who you are and to who god made you to be and for mm-hmm. me, it's like, who am I? Like, who am I to not bring that into these rooms that I'm in? Like, yes, it's amazing that I talk to these celebrities. I'm gonna talk about me too. Like, like that, because mm-hmm. the points that we're gonna connect on. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I know what job I'm there to do, but what makes those conversations special, Corey, is that we're connecting as human beings. It goes back to connection. And the right. only way you can really connect as human beings regardless of who they are, what race, what their native language is, is person to person, human to human. I can relate to you from the human experience standpoint. That's why AI DJ is working because I say, Hey, my name is Xavier. My friends call me X. What up? You know, like, because that's literally what I do. So all the words you hear in that are actual words that I use. There's no words in there that I don't actually say in real life. And that was a thing we talked about in the beginning. That's why even in a press announcement, it doesn't say X is the host. It says we partnered with, mm. with X. Spotify part. You look in it, go to the Spotify newsroom official press release. Right. It says Spotify partnered with Xavier X Jernigan. Because that's how it has to be with any of this. You got to bring yourself to it because that's the thing at the end of the day that all these people are going to connect with. That's the thing that different execs connected with. That's the thing that my different coworkers connected with. Every right. single place I worked before I was a quote unquote name, right? Mm-hmm. People would always want to come hang out in my office. Not just because it was a welcoming place, but the talk work. Like talk about different work strategies. But some mm-hmm. people would come and just want to sit in my room and like sit in my office rather and actually just do their work in, in my presence just so we can be vibing out and i've always been that person i've always been the person to talk to everybody in the building i'm always going to say what's up to security i'm always going to say what's up to the lunch people i'm right. always going to say what's up to the assistants nine times out of ten they black anyway so you might as well <laughs> do that because they're your aunts they're right. your uncles they're your right. cousins you know what i'm saying so i'm always going to talk to all them and this is this is how it all pays off. I don't do it for this. They always know what's going down before everybody else knows. Mm. The layoffs going down. Trust me. The custodial staff already knows who ain't gonna be here tomorrow. 
Mm. Security already knows. I pay attention to these things and I talk to these people because I never forget that could have been me right. working there. It don't make me better than them because right. I'm not. Right. But they're just like me. So I'm going to see them. So I say, slow down and see them. So no, no matter what their title is, if they're CEO, if they're co-founder, if they're this exec, if they're this celebrity, slow down and see them and think about, this is what I do. I think about what can we connect on human to human? I don't do interviews where I'm trying to have gotcha moments. I'm just trying to connect as humans. Right. I'm not trying to be like, hey, what about that thing? Didn't you, Shock didn't you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't do that. I'm going to get things that they haven't said in any other interviews because we're connecting as humans and they're going to know it's a safe space. So then they're going to share in a way that they don't normally share in other right. environments. They're not going to put this thing on, this armor on, this performance on. I want to talk to you. And that's the gift that I believe that God gave me in connecting with people and just feeling so comfortable in my own skin. Because this is where I live anyway, no matter what environment I'm in. I live in this skin of mine. Right. You know what I mean? So I'm 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 gonna bring it to all the spaces I'm in and I'm gonna carry myself like I'm great because God made us all great. So I'm gonna walk into that every day. And I don't care who has something negative to say about it. I'm not gonna get gassed by people being too positive. You don't get, you know, too high on that. Right. But it's because we're all made in God's image. None of us are better than each other, and we can all pull each other up. So I'm just going to connect with people on a human to human level and people know the difference when you do that. And I think that's what you hear. And I think that's what comes to it. I'm thankful that you that you hear that. And I appreciate you sharing that with me, bro. Yeah, man. It's it's one of the things that I definitely notice about you right away, man. And, and I appreciate it um, a lot. And it actually leads to um, the art of communication. I mm. think I think some would say or most would agree that you've mastered mm. the art of communication. And I know That's you and I have chatted about yeah. your interview style, but yeah. for my listeners, for my audience, how does someone get to your level and what does your, your prep routine look like for like a, a big or a major interview? What does that my look My thing like? is my prep doesn't change whether it's somebody that people never heard of. Mm -hmm. Or is one of the biggest, most recognizable celebrities in the world. I think that's one of the biggest misnomers that people make is they don't take it seriously until it's a certain name. Mm. Or like, if I'm really going to do this, I'm really going to do it. And I want I want it to be dope no matter who I'm talking to, no matter what space I, I step in. I don't look at the audience sizes of when I agree to do a podcast. I'm right. connecting with the person. If I like what they're rocking with, like such as this, mm -hmm. such as three questions with the homie Corey, then I'm going to do it. And I'm going to show up the same way. Wasn't I on time? Didn't I show up on time? You were on exactly. time. Now I don't show up. I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? I don't play with that. Mm -hmm. So I try to bring a level of professionalism and preparation always. So specifically, what does that prep look like for me? If I'm, if I'm interviewing somebody that's in a movie, I'm watching a movie. I ain't trying to just watch the trailer or read somebody else's synopsis of it. I'm going to watch the movie. So then I have my own opinions on what I saw. Right. Am I familiar with this artist's previous work? Like, what are my thoughts on those? Do I see a common thread? So mm -hmm. I, I try to tie all these 
different things together. If, if they got a new album out, I'm going to listen to the album. Mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to the new song. If it's just a new song they got out, I'm going to make sure I know the album names from before, the producers they worked with, what are they filming, like what they recorded. Like I'm going in deep because what I don't ever want to happen with an interview is for the person I'm interviewing with. And I don't even call them interviews. That's this one of my biggest things. Mm. I know we call them interviews so people understand what they are. Right. For me, they're just all conversations. So for me, we just having a conversation. Because when you say interview, people tense up. They got to put on this hat. They put in the, you know, they go into the certain mode. So for mm. me, they're all conversations. I don't want the person I'm having a conversation with, Corey, I don't want them to have to wonder if I actually know who they are and know their work. Mm. That's a disservice to me. And that's a disservice to the person I'm sitting down with. And I value the fact that they took time to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and as somebody asked me, you know, depending on the context, to sit with this person. So that's what I, I really try to do that. I just try to be thorough. I try to be an active listener. That's everything. You got to be an active listener. You can't be so caught up in what you want to get to in your questions right. that you're not listening to what they're saying. Because if you're just listening, there's a lot of follow up right there in that mm-hmm. conversation. Like, okay, they just kind of hopped over something a little bit. I wonder what, what's that little yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. What's that little, what's that little thing Gwen Stefani just hopped over? Hold on, let's, let's <laughs> go back to that. And then you, then you unpack that thing, and that could be the thing that just touches their soul and makes them cry. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I've had so many interviews, Corey, more than I can count, where these famous people just started crying because I, touched mm-hmm. on this thing and they got to talk about it and they felt safe and comfortable in the environment. So I really try to have the environment as safe and comforting as possible. I always give flowers. Mm-hmm. I always thank them for their time. If it's somebody that I'm a fan of and I'm a fan of their work, I appreciate their work. I'm always going to tell them I'm never too cool for school with that. Mm-hmm. Now you got to You got to understand the situation. Don't fan. I know, you know, keep it, yeah, keep, yeah, yeah. keep it cool now. Don't be too cool for school, but, but don't go overboard. But right. I'm a, but I'm gonna tell them up front, yo. I'm excited for you to be here. You a legend, man. You this is what you meant to me. So it's just a conversation, and then they're mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, this person knows what's up. You know what I mean? Because sometimes they they got all these interviews lined up, and they step into this room. And this person don't really know who they are, really know their work like that. So I want them to know that I really know their work, that I really appreciate them, and we're about to have conversation and i hope that they feel like this 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 is a cool cool ass dude right here so let's let's chop it up and then every single time invariably man i always have to enter in the interview the conversation because they got somewhere else to be but they would have kept going i've been with artists remember i came from the side Mm -hmm. all the way back to Mm -hmm. taking the band around making the band taking them around and stuff when they when they're not feeling the interview they want to get up out of there in like two minutes they're like, oh my God, can we leave? So I know what it's like being on that side of it. And now mm-hmm. I really know what it's like being on a seat, being in the seat, because so many people want to interview me and I've been doing so much press lately, how it is to be on the other side too. So I take all of that mm-hmm. and put it into it. And that's how I try to just get better at the craft. And then the last piece is study the greats. Study the greats. It's technique. It's real technique happening. Mm-hmm. Like the the when it's done super super well, and I hope this what comes across whenever you hear a conversation I'm having or see me doing my thing. That it just seems like we're just talking. That's right. by design. 
That's by design. Yeah. And it's, there's very specific things that I'm doing that I'm doing from the second. If it's Zoom that they sign on for the second they walk in the room, if it's in person, the second they walk up to me on a red carpet is by design. And for me, I just wanted to reach a certain level of mastery in the craft. And I was just pushing myself in different areas. Ah, I could get better in this. Ah, okay, my narration still sounds like I'm reading. This is several years ago. Mm-hmm. It sounds smooth, but it still sounds like I'm reading. Right. You know, people sound like a certain way when they're actually yeah, reading something. Yeah, yeah, or 100%. Do, like my whole thing is I, I never, no matter what it is, ever, if it's a script involved, ever want to sound like I'm reading. And that took me two, three years working at that, where you don't know if I'm reading or if I'm going off the dome. That's right. something I really worked at. And that's by design. So people ask me all the time, like, you have a script? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. And you'll never know when. Right. Sometimes uh, one thing I've mastered is I can come off the dome and just do it with no script. I can do right. a whole interview, an hour interview, no matter who. And it's all not going to have notes. You know what I'm saying? I still prep and wrote things out. But mm-hmm. I can get up there on stage in front of an audience and do it without any notes. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just a thing I wanted to be able to do. So that's right. the level of proficiency and mastery that I personally wanted to reach. And and that was just through a matter of like repetition over the years. Repetition, a big part of that. Absolutely. Repetition. And then just being honest with myself, listening back. Mm. You got to listen back. You have been, ah, could have been yeah, better like there. Yeah, ah, yeah. Did I study the names right? Did I triple check the name pronunciation? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't want the person to have to correct me on their name or the name mm-hmm. of this thing. Like those kinds of things. Did I stumble? I'm not a uh, ums and this. I don't know if you know this. I'm not an ums and alls person. I worked at that. Right. Most people do it. So you're not really going to hear me umming and on. Like, it's not really, not really my thing. So what's your trick for that? that? What's your trick for that? What's your hack? Oh, man. Elim- you literally got to eliminate it from your vocabulary. vocabulary. People mm-hmm. do that to feel dead air when they're looking for the next word. Correct. It's okay to have a pause. I'm going to do it on purpose, Precious. It's okay to have a pause while you find the next word. See, people naturally talk. I did all that on purpose, those pauses. See, that just sounded like I was just talking. See, right. people talk at different paces and, and find the words, but what people do is they fill those pauses with ums and ahs. Mm-hmm. Just pause. And then think about what you're trying to say and say it. People will allow you to pause because that's how people normally talk. So that's my hack is just eliminating it out as an option of a word choice. Just think of the next word you got to say and be confident. Don't you start getting nervous. You're going to start. Uh, now you, uh, what am I supposed to do next? Uh, this is the thing. The audience wants you to win. Cause trust me, nobody's sitting in the audience and wants you to suck. <laughs> like, so the audience is already rooting for you. Believe it or not. You just right. got to bring them along. You just got to give them reason to keep rooting for you. But they want to root for you. They actually want you to win. You just got to give them all the reasons to say, oh, yeah, that's dope. That was dope. So they want you to win. When you have a guest and the the people who are already listening to your show, they want the guests you bring on to be good. Right. So you just got to give it to them. You know what I mean? So you just, just take a minute, take a pause and take a breath. Breathing is important. So breathing, having your breath control. A lot of people went out of breath when they're doing presentations. So what I'm saying now too, mm-hmm. y'all, for all, anybody listening, tuning in, is also relevant for presentations. 1,000%. You got to stand up. If you got to do a toast at a, at a wedding reception, 
breathe. Breathe. Breathe deep breaths in your nose. Hold it. Exhale out your mouth. And think about what you're going to do. And be confident in it. And find your words and let your words find you. The mm-hmm. words are there. They're there. Mm-hmm. You, you don't struggle having a regular conversation with somebody. So just it's the same thing. You may have to project different. You may have to stand differently, depending on his, you know, the setting and the circumstances. Right. Don't cuff the mic if you got to hold a mic and you never hold a mic. Don't cuff it like a rapper. That it's not even good when they do that. <laughs> Think about it. That's where the amplification happens. So even when rappers are doing it, it's the wrong right. way. So don't you know what I mean? Just stuff you've seen, you don't necessarily have to do what they do. So right. Think about the next word that you got to choose and and you'll automatically eliminate the us and us. I, I love that. And it reminds me because I've dabbled in a few Toastmaster classes mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they work a lot on the mechanics. And yeah. They, they actually have someone that tracks your grammar, yeah, tells no. your grandma, your yeah. ums and your ahs. Yeah. But again, you know, one of the things that I'm grabbing from this as I'm being a student in this moment, looking to kind of hone this craft as well, is there is something to be said about just getting your reps in, right? To the point where it becomes muscle memory, where you're not that's right actively that's thinking about saying not saying um or uh whatever those other filler mm-hmm. words are, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely appreciate that, and I also appreciate the simple things like taking your time. It's okay to change your case right. or your pace. That's right. out there, right? And you said something there that it's it's kind of like alchemy, where you said let your words find you. I've never heard anyone say that before. So that was new that I just took from that. So, and that's even in that moment, I just thought about what I do and that's it. I just let my, I let my words find me the way that I talk. I let them, I let them come out. Mm -hmm. We just take a moment for them to form and it's okay. People will allow a room for you to think, right? They'll allow for it. If you look at the best speeches, go look at Oprah's Cecil Bell uh, B. DeMille Award speech from the Golden Globe. So basically Golden Globe's Lifetime Achievement mm-hmm. Award from several years ago. This is probably 2017, 2018. It's a lot of pausing in there as she tells a story. Very deliberate, mm-hmm. very slow. People allow for that. And it also, it raises the drama. It mm-hmm. raises the stakes. It pulls people in. You know, one of the greatest storytellers of all time, Dave Chappelle. Mm. He's one of the greatest storytellers you will ever hear. So I, I, I study them. I pay attention to what works with them. So comedians are some of the best public speakers you'll ever see. I take a lot of things, a lot of pages from the notebooks of the great comedians. So mm. it's just different things like that. So I've pulled from a lot of different spaces. I've taken a lot of things from MCs. You know what I mean? Pastors, preachers, it's it's things that we're doing. But this is all in the black tradition, the stuff I'm talking about. Right. So I pull from all those spaces. And but the but the secret ingredient, the special sauce is that I'm going to give you me. (laughs) I love it. Coming back to you. Coming back to you. You got it. You got to give them that. You're the only you're the only you. You are the only you. I love that. I'm I'm one of one. I'm going to make that my own. I, I love that. Please, please. I welcome that. So X, um, getting into my, my, my final question here before I, I throw a few quick rapid fire questions at you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you are both 
a student and an ambassador of hip hop. Yeah. yeah. And so with that in mind, what does the 50th anniversary of hip hop mean to X? Man, for me, it, it means evolution. It means all these wonderful, wonderful things have happened in hip hop over the years in terms of the amount of money that's being made. The where the culture is going, mm-hmm. all the different avenues that have been created. For me, hip hop has always been about the fact that we as a people made something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. That's what hip hop is at the end of the day. We made something out of nothing to speak to ourselves. And the, and the fact that hip hop is still around thriving, the number one consumed music on the planet is just so damn powerful. And that we can bring just a bit of those elements into all parts of our lives. I mean, we've now had presidents that we know listening to hip hop that listen mm-hmm. to hip hop. It's never mm-hmm. happened. Jay-Z was colder. You got to brush that dirt off your shoulder. Like, <laughs> come on. You know what I mean? We got rappers now that go to the White House. White House. Like, yeah. when, like, did we ever think that would happen? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So for me, the most important part of all of this is personal. And I will selfishly say that I get to be a part of celebrating 50 years of hip hop for the masses. For example, right. I'm guest curator. I'm really excited to say, I'm really proud to say that I'm guest curator for Lincoln Center. Mm-hmm. And here in New York City, if y'all don't know what Lincoln Center is, Lincoln Center uh, Performance Center for the Arts, that I get to curate the hip hop 50th anniversary shows in Damrush Park and Central Park, free shows, 2,500 capacity, that I literally curated these shows. They said, here's a budget. We coming to you. We think you'll be great to, you know, do your thing and host them. Since you're going to be here, you might as well host them. Mm -hmm. And to put together a live mixtape with Jay period with rock him and big daddy Kane, like that's powerful. And and that's the week of anniversary. So if anybody listening, that's going to be August 9th. Mm -hmm. So go on Lincoln center's website, RSVP. It's free. Show up. I'm telling you, and we got some special guests and surprises but then we're also coming back that saturday so the actual anniversary of hip-hop the actual 50th anniversary of cool herc and his sister's basement party up in the bronx is said to be august 11th Mm -hmm. 1973 so on the 12th we're going to close out the season at lincoln center at damn rush park and i got rock kim doing a more traditional style show but i got got to involve the ladies the ladies contribution Mm -hmm. to Mm hip-hop cannot be overstated or understated or forgotten so i got dj beverly bond spinning mm-hmm. to start it off i got rhapsody mm. one of the best lyricists in the game mm-hmm. right now and i got rock him the god mc closing it out but i got some special guests and some other surprises coming so come out to that it's free so being a part of curating experiences around it. in new york city Corey, this city i knew i was going to live in at the age of three and now you fast forward mm-hmm. and now I'm curating these shows for Lincoln wow. Center. Rakim said, Rakim said himself, Lincoln Center was on his bucket list. I begged my mama mm-hmm. to buy me Eric B and Rakim's paid in full cassette tape. I begged her 
and she got it for me. And I know that was no small feat for the right. financial situation that we were in as a family. So for me, it's life, it's culture. Hip hop is the last, it doesn't mean it has to continue to be the last, but it's the last original black American, shout out to the Latinos who obviously help mm-hmm. form and shape and contribute and build hip hop. But black and brown Americans built hip hop. It's the last original American art form wow. that we know today. And it took over the world. So for me, it's my first love. It's the first thing besides my family that I loved. Mm-hmm. And it's still something that's driving me today. And it's a dream come true. That's wow. what hip hop and hip hop being 50 it means to me. I love it. Love it. X, man, this has been a, a beautiful conversation before we part ways. Yeah. I'm going to ask you three quick questions. Okay. Rapid fire questions. You just you just tell me the first thought, first words that come to your mind. Okay. So, top five rappers of all time. Oh, man. I'm going to be honest, man. I don't like ranking rappers, man. I mm. don't like doing it. I'm going to tell you just some of my favorites. Okay. Go and for I'm going to tell you why. Because people start talking about all oh, the sales and this and that. <laughs> I'm going to just say some of my favorites. Okay. Go for it. 3,000. Okay. Three Black stack. Thought. Black thought, yeah, okay, roots. I'm gonna go with Mighty Most, mm. Mighty Most, Most Def, Def, aka Yasin Bay. I said Black Thought. I said three thousand. Ah, uh, man, let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Thinking, y'all. <laughs> I know it's rapid fire, but let me let me think, man. Because once I record this, and once it's out there, it's out there. So, all right, hold on, hold on. Let me let me let me think. You got two more. Okay, Black Thought, go Mighty Most. You know I'm gonna throw Buster Rhymes in there. He's okay, Buster. He's criminally underrated, and some he has some of the most incredible verses and wordplay and oh, yeah. performances that you will ever see. That's four. That's four. Man, let's see. I'm going to throw Ice Cube in there because Ice Cube Cube. never gets, he doesn't get mentioned enough. And specifically, I'm talking about coming out of NWA, America's Most Wanted. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm going to throw Cube in there, man. Okay. It was a good day. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. Maybe greatest groups of all time. I'm going to go. NWA is definitely up there. And the NWA is up there. Tribe Called Quest is my favorite group of all time, along with De La Soul. Mm-hmm. And the roots and outcast. So so for me, it's like groups, and that's yeah. why I have a hard time because when you do that, they get left out. And that's why. Because Pasta News is one of the best to ever do it, but also, you know what I mean? That kind of mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So yeah. Got we, you. We go with that with my convoluted <laughs> belabored, belie- beleaguered, belabored answer. No worries. <laughs> Another the next rapid fire question is X. Um, what's a common mistake? What's one common mistake you see? interviewers hosts make how many mistake that interviewers hosts make it's thinking about the next question before they even answer the one they already asked them i love it i fell into that trap so many times yeah and i'm gonna tell you the second part of that is asking like three and four and five part questions mm. and by the time you get to the question like well so what do you want me to ask you know, <laughs> what, what it just Rare ask one question yeah. yeah yeah just Ask one question and don't get caught up in your preamble, your, your preface mm. to the question. Because sometimes I think interviewers want to hear themselves talk. Right. And it's really about creating space 
for the person that's in that in that seat so y'all can have that conversation together and then depending how it goes depending on what your skill level is then you'll be able to get in there but Mm -hmm. you got to create the space for them to do their thing right and my last one here for you here x is Mm -hmm. what is a favorite quote or a mantra that you live by favorite quote or mantra that i live by is everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth Mike Tyson. classic so be be don't be too beholden to your plans it's mm. all it's all good until life snatches that rug out from under you then what mm. so everybody got a plan until then you know the other part of that you know that people also say is like you know we make plans and god laughs you know what right. i mean I've heard so that. Have a plan, but I like the Mike Tyson version better. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, X Man, as I said before, this has been a beautiful conversation. I definitely thank you. Thank you. Uh, we've given birth to some gems here during this discourse. Yeah, um, so, for all my listeners and my audience that would like to get connected with you, reach out to you. LinkedIn. How can they do so? I'm a, I'm a LinkedIn person. You can also follow me on Instagram. I don't post super often, but when I post, it's fire. I'm telling you, I post a <laughs> fire when I do post. So it's yeah. at Xavier Jernigan. That's X A V I E R J E R N I G A N. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Xavier X in quotes Jernigan. And then also tap in if you haven't listened to the AI DJ on Spotify. Mm-hmm. That's why you can find me. I'm there for you 24-7. I'm your personalized DJ. Right now, it's available for premium users in the U.S. and Canada. You go on the homepage at the top, click the music tab, and DJ is right there at the top. Once you listen to it, it automatically goes into your library, automatically goes into your shortcut, shortcuts. I'm there for you. I'm your personalized DJ. I will greet you by name, and I'm going to play the music that you like based on your own listening habits. And it's completely based on me and my personality. That's why I say my name, the word choices. So you're going to hear a lot of what you heard here, but we're going to focus in on music and focus in on culture. And I hope y'all join me there. Hey, I've got some great feedback from that, from some of my friends. So Uh, everyone, everyone is loving it. So guys, um, as many of you guys know, I like to end each episode by saying this. If you want to just impress people, talk about your wins, your accolades, mm. yada, yada, yada. But if you really want to have an impact on someone else's life, talk about your transgressions, your downfalls, struggles. those rough moments, the struggles. That's how you really move. Those stories are what really moves the needle in someone else's yeah. life. Yeah. So that being said, X and I are out. We Peace out. Peace and love. Peace. God time. bless. Look what-